Good morning, Parkway Church. Glad you guys are with us. Parkway Victoria, Parkway Port Lavaca, Lone Tree, and everybody online. Hello. Glad you guys are with us this morning. My name is Russell McCarson. I'm the student pastor here at Parkway Church, and we are continuing on our look at the book of Exodus. And so if you want to go ahead and turn there right now, Exodus chapter 20 is where we'll be at uh, for the rest of the day. If you're doing the the Bible app. There's actually an outline that you can use there. If you go to the live feature and push, uh, put in our uh, area code, you can find the outline there. Uh, if you haven't been here the last week or the week before, we were looking at previously is the Ten Commandments. And we specifically looked at the first uh, four commandments that established um, our relationship with God. It told us how we can keep God first in our lives and this week, we're looking at the last six, so it's going to be way longer today. I'm just kidding. It's a student pastor today. I'm used to junior hires, and I can't even go long. Um, it's not in my nature. Um, but we're looking at the last six commandments, and they really define our relationship with others. They tell us how we can keep God first in our relationship with others. So that's where we'll be at today. Um, and I want to quickly recap um, or run through the six commandments we're going to talk about, because like I said, many people... 80% of Americans actually believe or more believe that, man, the Ten Commandments, we should live by those. But when they're asked, what were they? Like 30% of them knew them. So let's actually look at uh, what are the six commandments that we're going to be talking about today. Starting out in Exodus 20, verse 12. It says this, Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord God is giving you. No amens on that. Okay, all right, that's fine. That's going to miss opportunity. Uh, hey, amen, right? I figured there'd be like you know, a couple of like parents be like, amen, right? Your kids are by and it embarrasses them, but that's, that's half the point. Um, but no, this is a commandment that, that gives a promise. Do this and it'll go well for you. So God is really pointing out this commandment. And I want you to understand something that a lot of times I think in our American culture, we kind of push this commandment away as less a command and more of like a subtle suggestion, but that's not the case. Like it's right next, he says, don't murder. Okay, like God was taking this one seriously. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit, how we keep that commandment. And I want you to understand also that commandment does not have an age limit on it. Okay, that continues on past um, 18. We'll talk about that later on. The second one, number 13, you shall not murder. Everybody good on that one? All right, good. The cops in the room been like, what's up? Um, you shall not murder. We'll talk more about um, that, how there is such a higher bar standard than that, but you shall not murder. Verse 14, uh, you shall not commit adultery. Um, to clarify that, that is any sexual act outside of the marriage covenant or relationship, and we'll elaborate on that one. Verse, uh, verse 15, um, verse 15, number, there we go, 8. Uh, you shall not steal. Pretty straightforward. Verse 16, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And this isn't just um, lying uh, to our, about our neighbors. This is having integrity in what we say. This extends to uh, water cooler gossip really on Monday mornings and things like that. And so it's a little more all-encompassing than simply don't lie about your next-door neighbor. Neighbor is all-inclusive and to speak with honor and reverence about all and then finally, the last one, number 10, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet 
your neighbor's wife or his male or female servants or his ox or donkey um, or anything that belongs to your neighbor, right? Like we've all been there, right? Next door neighbor, Bob. Has to be named Bob. It's next door neighbor. Got a brand new, fully loaded, deluxe leather seats ox, right? You know, like we've all been there. Um, sometimes it's hard because, like, the Bible is written in, in a different era, in a very agricultural era, but I want you to understand something. Just because this says don't, like, covet your neighbor's ox or donkey doesn't mean this is an outdated law. This, if anything, this is America's commandment right here to be content, to, to not look at what your neighbor has and say, I need those things. It's, it's so easy to fall into that temptation um, in the modern day realm of social media and things like that. So that's the commandments. But I want to keep on reading because I, I love where this scripture keeps on going. It says this, verse 18, when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpets and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear and they stayed at a distance, which, which I get. I mean, literally Mount Sinai at this point is it's consumed with smoke and there is thunder and lightning. They can audibly hear the voice of God. And so they kept a little bit of a distance. But I want you to see in verse 19 why they did it. Verse 19 and 20 shows the nature of the heart of Israel at this point and the way they viewed God and therefore how they will actually keep the commandments. Look at this, verse 19. And so Moses speaking to so Moses, Moses said, Speak to us yourself, and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us, or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you, so the fear of God may be with you to keep you from sinning. The fear of God, like Moses saying, You should fear God. You should be able to listen to Him still. Now think, the key issue for the nation of Israel at this point is they misunderstood what it meant to fear God. And I think we have the, the same issue today. Um, I think a lot of times we fear God. We hear that phrase in the Bible. We think of how we fear everything else. Like we, we fear um, a, a boss that's a little bit like cruel. You know, like boss kind of gets carried away with rules. We, we fear almost like you would fear like a, a dictator, something like a far off distant character. And that's not what the Bible is saying here. What the Bible wants is to fear God in the way that you would Fear a loving father. You, you would fear a, you would have a healthy respect or a reverence for a loving parent because that's one thing the nation of Israel up to this point has missed. They, they saw that the fear of God, they saw the power of God and what he could do to the nation of Egypt to get his people free, but they missed that that was done out of love by a God who cares for them. And like I said, it's a love that we have and respect for a parent. And for some of you guys, you say, that's hard for me because I, di I didn't have a loving parent. That's, that's okay. God is that loving parent for us. But for some of you guys, you know what I'm saying. Like you have a healthy fear and respect of parents. And like, yes and amen, like that doesn't age out, right? Like anybody here, like your parents could call you today, especially your mom, right? And she uses like your middle name with that one tone. And like the hair on the back of your neck still stands up. Like there's a, there's a healthy, I don't care if you're like SEAL Team 6, all right? Mom says your middle name. And it's because you're frozen in fear, right? I remember when I, was, uh, when I was 25, I just moved down here to Victoria to teach at West. And my parents were moving out of the childhood, my childhood home and moved to Oklahoma. And so naturally they're finding everything that me and my siblings had broken. 
over the course of like two decades. Um, <laughs> we've had a lot. And uh, I got a phone call out of the blue. My mom called me. And I wasn't ready for this. And I, hey, Mom. First thing comes out of my mouth, Russell Tanner McCarson, and that voice. And, I was, and, um, and of course, I'm a grown man. I'm out of my own. I am independent. And so I answer her back, yes, ma'am. Because <laughs> um, there's, there's a healthy reverence. There's a respect there, right? That, that goes beyond just there's, there's a punishment there, right? And she was messing with me because they'd already sold the house, and so it didn't really matter. Um, but... But there's a healthy reverence and respect. And when we see God's commands, we should have a fear of God to obey Him. But it's a fear of God that has a reverence and respect. Does that make sense? Because that changes the way you actually obey them. It changes it from being an obligation that is out of pure fear to an act of love and respect as I obey them in a way that honors you. Okay, And so with that in mind, I want us to continue to look at um, the commandments. But I want us to see why they matter. And so this is the, the favorite part, kind of, quickly becoming a tradition for Parkway Church. The so what um, part of this message this is Mike's favorite part. He gets excited for this part, right? So what? Why does this matter? So what? I mean, the law was given to the nation of Israel like a thousand years plus before Jesus. This is a long time ago. This is far removed from our culture. How can we possibly have these commands and, and truly take them seriously in our modern culture today? How does, why does this matter for me? So what? Why should I listen? I'm so glad you asked. Um, you're a bit threatening in the way you did it, but that's okay. So, so what? Why does this matter to us today? I want you to see a couple of different things. And if you are like a first time here at Parkway Church, you are trying out church, or a friend brought you, or you're really just trying out this whole God thing. Okay, this is your first time here. I want you to lean in, listen in. For this part, okay? I want you to understand something. Because I think so often our culture, and even some who actually teach the Bible, quote unquote, get this so wrong. The law, the law does not make us right. Obedience to the law does not make us forgiven. It, it doesn't work that way. If you obey um, enough law and you're considered a quote-unquote good person, a model citizen, whatever that means, you're not going to get um, to heaven one day and God says, you know what? You, you tried really hard. You did your best. Come on in. I want you to understand something. That's not the way it works. Every single last person in this room in Port Lavaca and Lone Tree and every person on this planet we, we fall short of God's law. We fall short of obeying God's commands. And that, and that tells us something. And God knew that. He knew that we could not redeem ourselves. He knew that we could not obey. So He sent His one and only Son who could obey. Who could live the perfect life and die the perfect sacrifice that we could not. And through Him we have eternal life. That's the true gospel. Not some self-help, not some I'm going to fix myself gospel. That's the true gospel. We are saved by grace and grace alone. And that is such good news for us today. Amen? Like that is good news for us. He set the captives free. He saved those who could not save themselves. Now, as I say that, some people in this room go, so I don't have to do this, right? <laughs> As a get out of get out of jail free card, get out of hell free card. Jesus died for my sins, and so all right, 
Let's go to Chili's, right? I guess not the way this works. And, and Paul knew that. The Apostle Paul, he addressed this exact question, Romans 7, verse 7. He said this, What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. You see, by the law, the law exposes the condition of our heart. The law exposes the condition of our heart. It helps us see that we really are broken people. We really are sinners who are in need of a Savior to redeem and save us. The way I've oftentimes explained this, especially to young teenagers who are now driving, is, have you ever gotten a speeding ticket? Don't you lie in church now, all right? God's watching, and you're like putting both hands up like, save me. Um, it's okay, I've got them too. Um, when, you, when the cop pulls you over and he comes up to the door, he says, what? You were speeding. There was a traffic sign, a speed limit sign, Back there, right? And if there wasn't a speed limit sign, what would you say? No, there was not. You would say it respectfully, though, wouldn't you, right? Uh, there was not a speed limit sign. You see, by the law, it helps us see what we're actually doing. The speed limit sign did not make us speed. Correct? Some of us believe that. That's not the case. The law helps us see that we are actually are disobedient, that we actually are sinners. You see, because of the law... When you have a conversation with a friend, with a family member, when I right now share the gospel and say, you know what? We are sinners. We fall short of God's law, God's commandment. There's something wrong with us. If somebody's being honest and they're taking a look at their life, they can easily go, you're right. As long as that person's honest in themselves, it helps them see the condition of their heart and it's broken. But like I said, that's why Jesus died for our sin. Now, one more thing though. I want you to see awesome passage in 1 Peter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says this, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation and know that you have tasted the Lord is good. I want you to see that in verse 2, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it may grow in your salvation. You see, what the law so, so well does is it reminds us there is work to be done. You see, it's not a, a Jesus saved me, I am saved from my sin. Awesome. <laughs> it, see, the law reminds us there is still work to be done. When we fall short as believers in Jesus Christ, which we still do, it reminds us that our discipleship process is not done. There is still room to grow. There is still work to be done. I want you to hear this. A lot of times we as believers in Jesus Christ get this misconception that our neighbor, a person down the pew from us, has it all together. They're a finished product. They're done. They're not. None of us are. Every single last one of us, we are not done until the other side of glory, until this life ends. We are still a work in progress. I want you to understand something. It's a long process. It's not always an easy process. Most of the time it's not. It is always a process, but don't give up on the process. Sometimes I think it's hard, especially when we have, when I was going through those Ten Commandments, we probably came to the sin that you've been stuck in, right? We all have a sin that's easy for us to get stuck in. 
For most of it's a different one. But don't give up on the process. There is still work to be done because in Jesus Christ, because He's died for us and gave us the power, we actually can not be controlled by our sin today. And the law reminds us there is still work to be done. Now, with that so what in mind, what's our next step? What do we do now? What is the next thing that we need to do is we walk out these doors and we go back to our day-to-day lives, back to our work, to our classes, to our schools. What are we to do? Well, I think in Hebrews 10, verse 16, God had some amazing advice. He says really what He really intends for how we should obey. Listen to this. Hebrews 10, verse 16. This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. This is a quote from actually the book of Jeremiah. So when the Bible says something multiple times, it's really trying to get across a point. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. What does that mean? To truly write God's law on our hearts and have it on our minds at all times. You see, what God was trying to say there is that it's not simply that we just not mess up, that we not disobey His commands, but He wants us to have a mindset, to have a motivation, and to have a heart that is truly behind obedience, right? That's what, truly what God desires. I mean, let's, let's be honest. We, we can easily, not easily, but if we do obey the Ten Commandments, we can still have a life that falls well short of the life that Jesus lived, right? Like Jesus didn't just say, you know, I'm going to obey the Ten Commandments. I'm going to obey really what was God's will behind obeying the Ten Commandments with the right heart, the right motivation, and that is the bar that we strive for. Not simply obedience, but obedience with a heart that truly honors God. That makes sense. I mean, we all have rules that we obey, that we obey them because, like, we have to, right? Um, there's a couple of kids in my congregation, like, mm-hmm, right? Um, I, I remember when I was a, when I was a kid. I'm talking about childhood a lot today. Huh, all right, my parents will love this message. I remember when I was a kid. I grew up out in the country. Um, anybody else grew up kind of out in the country a little bit, right? Like, all right, it's the country. It's great. It is super boring during the summer, right? Uh, there is nothing to do. There is no kids there. I remember my dad would, uh, he would give me a to-do list. He would fix that boredom, right? Um, there'd be a to-do list. And I would always complete the to-do list. I would always obey. It was just how I obeyed, right? I would promptly begin on the to-do list five minutes before my dad got home. Um, I would, in fact, sometimes me and my brother would be sitting there watching TV, um, and we would hear the door shut as his truck pulled in the driveway, and we knew, no, we haven't even started. And we would just start running around like wild men, like we're dusting everything, we're fixing this, we're doing this, we are obeying, right? How do you obey? Like, I firmly believe this. My dad would walk to the mailbox and like take 10 minutes to like, open the mail out there because he's like, my... <laughs> My kids are in there doing the to-do list right now, and I just really don't want to feel like dealing with this right now. <laughs> He's a wise man. He really was. He knew his kids. How do you obey, right? Like, do we obey God's commandments begrudgingly, or do we say, God, I want to honor you in how I do this? Because here's the thing. I think a lot of times, like, the disillusioned junior high version of me, we think we're actually, like, we're fooling 
the people were obeying. Like He knew that we waited to the last five minutes. Like God knows our heart, our desire. He knows us so well. He knows the will behind our obedience. Does that make sense? So how do we actually obey Him in a way that honors Him? Let's look at these and we'll close out. What about number, commandment number five? Honor your father and mother. Yeah, there we go. We got one. All right, we're learning. All right, we're getting there. Right? I'm going to give you opportunities, right? She, she didn't have kids by her. She didn't have anybody to like, embarrass that time, right? Honor your father and mother. I think here's the, the heart behind it, right? Port Lavaca, maybe you had a bunch of parents like, amen, right? Honor your father and mother. How do we do that in a way that honors God with the heart behind the commandment? I think it's this. Build relationships of honor. Build relationships of honor. I was talking to Pastor Kim um, beforehand. I love his take on this. He said, uh, a lot of times, in fact, all the time, the way that we honor our parents should spill over to all of our other relationships. And I want you to hear this. Like kids in the room, teenagers, when you honor your parents, you learn how to actually honor others. And a lot of times we say, but it's difficult to, to honor them. I, I disagree with them, right? That does not stop. There will be people throughout our lives that we may disagree with, bosses that we disagree with, but yet we are still called to honor them. You see, our relationship with our parents, it's something that matters so much because it shapes who we are. It shapes how we interact with other people and even shapes how we interact with God. And if you're an adult today and you say, you know what, my, my relationship with my parents has never been good, Hey, I wish it was, but there's still time, and there is still a way for God to mend that relationship. There's still a way for God to mold you because He's the perfect example. Okay? Now, what about number six? Murder, right? The one everybody struggles with, right? Okay. <laughs> Somebody's going like, to raise their hand on that one. It's going to be really creeping me out. All right. Murder, right? Like, I, don't think, I don't think any of our neighbors were like, man... Bill, he has to be Bill or Bob, one of the two, right? Bill, it's a great guy. He hasn't murdered anybody that I know of in weeks, right? Like, that isn't, <laughs> if that's you, you're in the wrong part of town, right? If we don't wow people by, like, our lack of murder, no, the bar is set far higher. In fact, I love what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. You want to go home, a little devotional reading. That's an amazing text to look at. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, 26. Jesus said, instead of just saying, well, I'm going to murder somebody, I'm going to deal with all of my anger, my bitterness, and my resentment. That's a little bit harder, right? I'm going to deal with all my bitterness, all my anger, all my resentment. And that is difficult, but I have to let you see the, the motivation is not just it's a nice thing to do. It's never the motivation. The motivation is the gospel. You see, we have people that have wronged us that are really enemies of ours, and we think, how can I forgive that person? But we have to see that once we were enemies of God. God did not send His one and only Son to just die for people that He was indifferent towards. He sent His one and only Son to die for us when we were still enemies of His. He died for us and we believe in Him, it makes us redeemed children and co-heirs with Christ. Enemies, co-heirs with Christ. In the distance in between those two positions, we get the ability to forgive others. You have to get the motivation right. Because here's what I've come to find with bitterness, with anger, with resentment. 
it never actually harms the person you're actually angry with, does it? It never does. In our minds, we think, I'm getting even with them. I'm bitter towards them. Man, they have time. They don't even know it, do they? But it affects your relationship with God. It affects the relationship with your friends and especially with your spouse. We harm no one but ourselves with bitterness and something that we must throw away to truly show the gospel in our lives. Number seven, adultery. Another, another commandment that Jesus gave some amazing commentary on the very next passage, Matthew 5, 27 through 30. See, Jesus said it's not just enough that we not commit some physical act of adultery, but instead we commit to sexual purity in all relationships, and I'd even add to it in, in all ways. You see, what Jesus was getting at, what he said is instead of just saying, I'm not going to commit adultery physically with my body, but instead we remain pure with our thoughts, with our eyes, with our emotions. Now, you say that's not what the cultural norm is. I get it, but the culture is not what sets the standard for us. It's the, it's the Word of God that sets the standard for us. Anything short of that falls short of what God wants for us and what truly, I believe, what truly brings joy to our lives. And the next one is this, the, the false testimony. Number nine, false testimony. Is it just enough? Just an, I, I'm not lying about people. Gold star, right? <laughs> Scratch and sniff star, whatever, whichever one you like, right? Is it simply enough for us to say, not give a false testimony, to not lie, or instead we should speak truth in love? And we ever come to the conclusion that our words are not on accident? Like they, they come from our heart. It's you hang around with somebody long enough and eventually who they are will come just blurting out. We may not like what it is. We may not like what it shows about our heart, but it is always the truth. Instead of just saying, I'm not going to lie about people or gossip, I'm going to speak truth and love to them. Think about this, the, the, the water cooler conversations we have, the gossip um, sessions that oftentimes happen. They're at every workplace, right? They're at every workplace, every school, that they are everywhere. It's part of our human nature, our broken human nature. What kind of a testimony is it when that gossip session starts? You say, you know what, guys, I can't do this. I can't. I have a conviction. Or instead, you actually speak highly, even of the people that you, they know that they have done you wrong. What kind of testimony is that? It shows that we are different, that we are redeemed, and you do that long enough, and people start asking, Why? They, they may not phrase it well. They may say, like, you're strange. You're like, why are you not taking part in this? But we are called to be different. The last one, covet others' things. The fully loaded ox and donkey, right? Is it, is it just enough to not covet other things? Or instead, are we instead called to love your life, not theirs? We're called to love our own life, not our neighbor's lives. And like I've said, social media kind of makes us hard sometimes. We compare our reality to somebody else's highlight reel, okay? We compare our reality to what somebody else wants their reality to be. Scrolling through Instagram and uh, you just see everybody else's highlight reel. Facebook is the exception because everybody puts all their mess on there, okay? That's an exception, okay? Instagram gets you down, just go to Facebook. It fixes everything, okay? No, not really. It does not. <laughs> Social media people in the room, like, you get that? If not, ask them to explain it later on, okay? 
We can't compare our lives to somebody else, especially their highlight reels. We have to say, God, you have blessed me and I will thank you and I will be thankful for what you have blessed me with. God's blessed me with so much. And at time to time, I still have to remind myself, God, thank you for what you have given me. And some of you guys, though, you find yourself, you walked in here and you said, I feel like God has not given me much over the past year. The past decade, you came in here with just this long string of rough patches. But I still want you to see that if you have believed in Jesus Christ, you are redeemed. Like That is something to celebrate. If you came in here with not much to your name and you have that, you have everything that you need. You have everything that you need in Jesus Christ and your relationship with Him to say, I'm content. That's what Paul was liberating. He said, you know what? I've learned what it is to be in want. I've learned what it is to be in need. And I'm okay because I have Jesus Christ and that is all that I need. As we close out, guys, I want to help us see if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today and for years your, your faith in Jesus Christ just looked like I'm just going to try hard to not mess up. I'm just going to try hard to not cross over this line. I'm just going to try and keep these commandments as best I can, and that's it. I want you to see you were meant for so much more. You were, you were meant to truly follow after the example of Jesus Christ. You were called to actually have a why behind the what that you do, to have a heart behind your obedience. Your obedience can be your testimony, and it is motivated by the gospel. And I get that each and every one of us, we have, as we go through these Ten Commandments, we hit a commandment or two that really, it hit you hard because it's been one that you've struggled with your entire life. I want you to understand this, that through the Holy Spirit, we are able to be changed. Through Him, through the power of the Gospel, we can live a new life. Sometimes it doesn't feel that way because you've been dealing with it for years, but because of what He did for us, He gave us a power to truly be transformed. And for others of you guys that walked in here, and to be honest, you've been fed a lie. You've been fed a, a false gospel of working your salvation, of, of earning your salvation, do enough good things, and somehow God will love you. And it's left you wanting more because it was never the true gospel. I want you to understand it is believe in Jesus Christ that He died for your sins. He covered your imperfection, your sin, your brokenness, and all of ours. And then be transformed. Not the other way around. Guys, I want to pray for each and every one of us. We're going to continue on in worship. Allow God to move among us. Convict us of what He needs to convict us of, guys. I want to pray for each and every one of us that God will move in our lives. Bow your heads with me, guys. Dear Lord, I thank you so much. You saw us in our sin. You saw us in our brokenness, Lord. You knew that we could not save ourselves, but you're a loving Father. You are a passionate God, and you pursued after us. You sent your one and only Son to die for us, God. He lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death that we could not. He paid the penalty that we could never afford, God. And through Him, we have eternal life. God, in every location, even online, if there is someone listening to this today, 
And that's the first time they have heard the true gospel. That's the first time they have heard that truth. Today is their day to believe in you, God. I pray they may have the boldness to believe in you today, Lord. Maybe marking that belief with a simple prayer. No magic words, but a prayer that marks a belief in you. Praying, dear Lord, I am broken. I am a sinner, Lord. And I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sin. God, I thank you for anyone that believed in you and changed their eternity forever, Lord. Also, Lord, for every believer in this room, God, may we have a passion to obey you in a way that actually honors you, in a way that points out the gospel, in a way that points out that we are redeemed, God. Give us this passion. Give us this conviction this morning, Lord. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.